Thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms, Lord. Uh, they truly are uh, medicine to our soul, Lord. Uh, we get faced with discouragement and, and life um, happens. And so, Father, we turn to your word today and we ask that you would speak to us through this Psalm. Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, that you would help us to see our life um, and lives, Lord, through your eyes. Lord, that we would see us as you've created us. And Lord, we give you praise uh, for being God. Lord, you are so good to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at uh, Psalm chapter 8. And and we looked at that slideshow. was just kind of, we went through it. If you guys weren't here, there's a spam email going around showing how small the world is in comparison to all of the stars. The world itself is tiny. And in Psalm 8, verse 3, David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. So there's this picture of David looking out at the universe and getting a small picture of the magnitude of God and how great he is. And then it dawns on him how small and insignificant he is, that he is uh, literally a tiny little molecule in, in the scope of all of creation. And then he says in verse 4, What is man that you should take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And it's just this idea that in light of all of creation, that God would consider man, that he'd consider David, that he'd consider you and me in the light of all of this. And now Psalm 139 is going to unpack this at such a greater level. Like, how does God see us? Then how does he view us? Um, we're going to read it all in its entirety right now, and then we'll, we'll begin. Um, Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance in your book, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me 
when as yet there were not, was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O Lord, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Father, we do thank you for this psalm. Father, we pray that as we um, go through it now, Lord, that you um, would guide us, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate its meeting. Father, we pray that you would show this, uh, how it applies to us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see ourselves, Lord, in the way that you desire um, us to be seen. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So over the last, I mean, years, I don't, I mean, probably since I was a little kid, I remember people always talking about self-esteem, and it seems that we are always told that we need more of it, um, that we're supposed to improve our self-esteem, that we're supposed to do all sorts of stuff that we would feel better about ourselves. And it was funny this week, I googled self-esteem. And one of the things on the on the latest, you know, uh, psychiatric, you know, magazine today, they they even there was a line there that said, "Well, we we want to improve our self esteem, but we've created this beast of of that people are so into themselves that they think that the whole world revolves around themselves." So there's kind of like two extremes. But growing up. We have insecurities, and, and, and I was raised in an abusive home and told horrible things, and I always countered that by trying to achieve, well, first it was by being a class clown and just being funny, and then I, you know, high school was coming to an end, I realized being funny wasn't going to feed me, and my dad was no longer going to support me once his liability was done, and so I was, was going to have to come up with something. So, of course, I thought of something easy, like going to be a Navy SEAL. And I thought, I remember thinking, well, if I achieved this, then the feeling I have inside will feel better. And I remember going through Hell Week. And the big thing that they have pre-Hell Week is they change the color of your T-shirt. And that means a huge deal. You go from having to wear a white T-shirt to a brown T-shirt. Really, in hindsight, it's nothing. But it seemed huge when I was 18 years old and striving. All I wanted to do was wear this brown shirt. Finished Hell Week. We'd gone from you know 180 guys down to about 30 guys. And I put on this brown shirt. And it was just a brown shirt. And I said, this absolutely changed. Nothing. Like, now I just have a brown shirt and my feet are swollen and my head hurts. And I'm really tired. And I thought, well, maybe it's when I get the trident. When I, when I get the little piece of metal that tells the world I'm a Navy SEAL. And then another year or so went by and I got this little thing that says I'm a SEAL. And then I'm like, man, this is like a $3 piece of cheesy stuff that the government made that doesn't do anything for, like, I still have this, like, void within me. 
But we're told increase your self-esteem if you lose weight, if you eat right. But I found that, man, I'm just getting fatter the older I get. My hair's going away. Like all of it, like it's not getting better. We can try to fight the second law of thermodynamics, but I'm at the point where it's like, man, I don't know that it's like, you know, I'm going to exercise because it makes me feel good, not because it changes how I look, you know, and I've got to be content. But we're told all of this stuff. And in fact, on Wednesday, there was an Escondido Police Chaplains. Um, we had our monthly meeting. And, and uh, for whenever chaplains have a meeting, they, they pull somebody from law enforcement to kind of brief us on something. And there's a joke in this story. I just haven't found it yet. You know, there's like this rabbi, there's a Baptist pastor, myself, and there's a couple under other characters that are, you know, your classic sort of clergy. I probably was the least classic looking clergy of the bunch. And this guy came to speak to us about human trafficking, which human trafficking ultimately leads to prostitution that like... Like 75% of prostitutes are slaves and are indentured servants, and it's a horrible thing. And the guy's like talking, and these chaplains are asking questions. It's like, why are you asking that question? Because he's going to have to answer. And then it's, it, was, it was really kind of funny. And there is a joke in here. I just haven't found it yet. But one of the things that this guy said, he said... He was talking about the process of these women being lured into prostitution and then ultimately becoming slaves to to the guys that are, that are lording it over to them. And he, it, it struck me in my heart. He said, all of these girls are vulnerable because there's a father void in them. And so these guys come and they prey on this. And I'm a guy with two young daughters. You know, i got to make sure that there's no father void in my girls growing up. And, and, and really, it's this lack of understanding who they are in God's image that these other people are preying on and locking them into this horrible cycle. And our, the world has got it all wrong. There's no value for life, no value for who we are as people. It's all about the external, and if you do this... Then you'll feel good about yourself. But we read it all the time of people who have attained everything and then they end up going bankrupt, commit suicide, or there's some huge scandal that comes out of it. It's just like Solomon writes about in Ecclesiastes, that it's vanity of vanities. All of it's vanity. And my goal today is in going through this psalm is that we would rightly understand who we are as people through God's eyes. Because that's truly where we're going to find content and, and, and peace and, and, and happiness in who we are by understanding who, how God sees us. And in this psalm, there's three main sections. And we're going to learn some theological terms. <clears throat> We're going to learn omniscience, which is omni basically means all, like complete, fully, science. So omni-science, omniscience. Conscience means like with our thoughts. So that means if omniscience means all-knowing, that God knows everything, there is absolutely nothing that he does not know. Then verses 7 through 12, we're going to learn the word omnipresence. So omni means all. Presence is like, I'm present right here. That God is in all places, everywhere. 
He is not the tree, the piece of wood, the air, the mountain. He is not those things, but he is in all places. There is no place that we can run from God. The third term is omnipotence, omnipotence. That God is all-powerful, that there is nothing he can't do. And I think of that Spanish song, but I don't know the words. You know, mi Dios es tan grande, something that day. My God is so strong and so great. You know, it's a kid's song in English, but I only, and I say I know it loosely in Spanish, as I just demonstrated. But then we're going to see that God is all-powerful. And so as we dig into this, verses 1 Psalm 139, verse 1. David begins. He says, O Lord, that's that term Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. This is the whole premise. He says, God, you know me, you've searched me, you know everything about me. And then he's going to explain, he's going to unpack what this sentence means. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. He says, God, I understand that when I sit down or when I rise up, you know everything that's in my little brain commanding me to do this from far away. You know my thoughts. Only God knows knows your thoughts. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. Satan is a created being. He can't hear your thoughts. God alone knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what anxiety you're going through. He knows what worries that you have. You can't pray a a prayer with your lips and feel something different in your heart. God knows what your heart is. He knows everything about you. He goes on to say that you scrutinize my path and my lying down and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. So David begins to say that his life path, everything that he does when he's walking, when he's doing his job, when he's on the run from Saul and his men, God knows everything that's happening. When he's sleeping, God knows what he's doing. There is nothing in David's life that God is unaware of. He goes on to say, even before there was a word on my tongue, before David even knows what he's about to say, God knows already what David's going to say or what you're going to say or what I'm going to say. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. And so here's this picture. We're, we're living our lives. We think that we're free. We think we, we're humans. We can, we can do whatever we want. And then there's this picture that God's walking right behind David. He's in front of him and he's laying his hand upon his life. That God is with him. And this one reminds me of that verse in Acts 17.26 when, when Paul is before the, the Greeks. And he says, from, from one man, God's created all people. And he basically says, he's determined their time, their place, their habitation, so that they might grope for God. So God's hand is upon us. And as I start thinking about these f- five verses, as like my, you know, I'm an American, I value my freedom. It's like, man, this seems kind of lame. It's like, can I not get away from you? It's like, you know everything about me. You know my thoughts. You, you, you know the words I'm going to say. You know when I'm walking. You know when I'm laying down. Everywhere I go, it's like, can I get a little peace? Like, can I get a little away from you? Like, you're behind me. You're in front of me. You're holding your hand down. It's like, you're smothering me. But that's not how David responds. Like, and I think that I've heard so many preachers use this, that God knows your thought. It is to like, kind of like to scold you or to, to create fear in you. But how does David respond? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
It is too high. I cannot attain to it. That you're the the one who created all of these huge stars, that created the universe, that His creation is bigger than we we can even possibly fathom. Not only does He consider us, He knows everything about us. There is nothing that escapes His knowledge about us and our lives. That it's not some God out there that just kind of kickstarted creation and He's backed off. He's intimately involved in each one, every single human being's life. And that's overwhelming because we're finite people. How in the world can you how in the world can you possibly maintain all of this? I can barely maintain my own life and like things that I've done. But see, that's why he's God. He's bigger than all of that. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't even imagine how big you are, God, that you know everything about me. It's too high, I cannot attain to it. Then he talks about his presence. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? The trip to Israel, the very first night, my very first morning in Israel, I had my computer. So every spot we went, I would like kind of, um, in the computer program, I would run the location and kind of just go, what happened in the Bible here? And the first place we were at was Joppa. What happened in Joppa? little Bible quiz. Little big whale fish really is what the word is. Jonah fled from the Lord. Jonah learned this lesson a hard way. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Jonah thought if he went to the end of the earth, he would be able to escape God. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's this is this is a question that we that he knows the answer. There's nowhere that David can go. He says, If I ascend to heaven, he start, you know, he's making. If if I was able to go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to Shul to the to the the never the Neverland is what my the literal word is the hell or the place after death. There's in the Old Testament. There's great. There's a scope of what this word means. He says, if I go down there, you are there. If I take wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. He says, no matter where I go, he says, wherever I go, you're right there leading me. (laughs) You can just leave it down. Everybody saw that in slow motion was brazen. So David starts talking about, you know, if I physically try to run from you, there's nowhere that I can go. If I go scuba diving and I go to the deepest place of the ocean, God's there. Like, and this is a thought to me. I've been a couple hundred feet underwater scuba diving going, are you here, God? Hey, I can pray down here and God can hear me. You can fly halfway around the world. Go to Mongolia. Start. It's like you feel out of place. God's like I've been here and all. Like I've always been here. Like I'm here. Go down to Mexico. God's there. There's nowhere that we can run from God's presence. And in each one of these sections, we kind of see David's response. So in the first, God knowing everything and Him being intimately involved in our life led David to say, this this is just too wonderful for me to even comprehend. And as he starts considering God's 
just being everywhere. He says, no matter where I go, and we have to remember, David is on the run from Saul. David's life is not hunky-dory right now. He has great concerns. He's hiding in a cave or he's somewhere on the run for his life. God's anointed king. And he says, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me wherever you go. Like I had a little incident. I'm a little embarrassed to say, I don't know what happened, but but all I know is I was at fault. (laughs) Like it was my fault. There's no way around it. I almost got in an, well, I guess, I don't know. I kind of got in an accident this week. And the scary thing is, is, is Elizabeth was in the car with me. And I'm basically, if you're heading into Valley Center and you pass Lilac Road on Valley Center Road, they're doing all of that construction. And the left lane just, you know, it kind of just out of nowhere, I guess, wasn't there anymore. But it's, they've been doing this for the last three months, so I guess I should have known. But there was this huge big box truck. And something happened in front of him where he jerked over really fast. And it's like when I hit the brakes, I, like I, there's no way that my vehicle is stopping before I get to the back of his car. And so then I do this number, and I get over. Everything's okay except for my rearview mirror hits the back of his, you know, his thing. It didn't even make a mark on his car, but my thing got like kind of it ruined. It's, it's still there. I'm waiting for the new one to come. And then I stop on the side of the road, and there's like 10 more feet, and there's some yellow posts there. I didn't hit those. And all I remember thinking is like, thank you, Lord, that you were here and you protected me. And like I go to the back seat, and Elizabeth is just out cold drooling. It's like, okay, well, she this didn't even face her. She even realized what happened. But the thought of all of this, that God is with us, protecting us, Sometimes putting us through trials. Sometimes we get in the car accident. Sometimes we get the flat tire. Sometimes not everything good happens to us, but the God is there in the midst of it. And so we look at our the, the good things and the bad things through, God, what are you teaching us? And then he goes, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. It's funny how we as humans, when the sun sets, what comes out of us at night? And I think it's universal. Like there are very few cultures, like I don't know of any cultures that like all of the craziness happens during the daylight hours. We think, well, at night nobody can see. I can just revel in whatever I want to revel and nobody knows. God knows. He's got the perfect night vision. He can see there is no way that we can escape Him. We can't hide in the dark and do things and, and God doesn't see us. Everywhere, everything, God is there and He's able. Then David's going to go on to his omnipotence, his, his power. So God knows all things. He's in all places. And then we start looking at his power over creation. Verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. So here's David. He understands, like when we look at you know, death and other things, like I've never seen my intestines. I've never seen my heart. I've never seen my own lungs. But I know that they're there. 
And to think that God created all of these things, that I need oxygen, I need air, and so that I just happen to have these things called lungs that, that can take in oxygen, get it into my blood, get it to every single part of my body, get it to the parts of my body that need it more. The, 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 I mean, people study a lifetime, doctors, over specific organs. And I don't know, do they go to med school like attracted to the kidney and say, I just want to study the kidney and become an expert in the kidney? Like, nobody is an expert on every single organ. Like, to think, and that God created this. He formed this. That you wove me in my mother's womb. That, That before you were born, before you reached the second trimester, God formed you. Before creation, He knew that He was creating you. And He says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And so here we see that this is a driving verse for the sanctity of human life. Like, why do we as Christians value life? Why do we, or should we, I should say, have this quest to protect those in the womb? Well, from Scripture all through it, this is just one of many, that we see that in the womb, God forms you there. That you're not just a blob of stuff waiting to come together. That at inception, at conception, everything is there. And this verse, you know, I was, you know, I went to Israel, and there, like I was, I've, I, like it was just there was so much, and um, and then when we got to Jerusalem. Like, not only was there all of the tour group sightseeing stuff, but in the evenings, there was like this, the Feast of Tabernacles conference. And I felt obligated to do as much as I could, but, but I was like, by the time I got to the conference, it was like, there's no way I could even stay. Like, I was, you know, I was ready for bed by like 8.30, and the conference started at 7.30, and there was like Brazilians and people from around the world that they don't even start going until midnight. And so they were like going crazy until however long. And so I'm like, but I feel obligated to go. So I went up there for the first, like the opening ceremony. And I'm like, okay, I've been here for 15 minutes. I've done my time. I can go to bed now. So I, I, got, I got a general sense of what ha- was happening. And so I walk out. I'm in the very top because I didn't want to wait in line. So I went there late. And then I saw my section. And I'm at the very top of the stairwell. And I, I looked down to where they had all the ven- ven- vendors. And one booth caught my attention. It was like sanctity of human life in Israel. And so I went down. I'm like, okay, I'll go down there. And I ended up talking to these two Israeli ladies that have a, you know, a, a medical clinic in, in Jerusalem. And all, well, really all over Israel, there's a bunch of them. And I introduced myself. I said, oh, I'm on the board of directors for a, a, a medical clinic in, in San Diego. And, and uh, they had this this picture of this baby in the womb and in Hebrew around the outside of it um, it said it was this verse that for I that this Psalm 139 verse 13 was was the border of the thing and it was beautiful and talking with them and this girl from an Israeli perspective she's like listen we've we lost 1.5 million children during the Holocaust and we've aborted two million of our babies since then. And she's like, it's heart-wrenching to me. And, and, and this verse that here, that from the Jewish perspective, she's like, it's wrong and we need to do something. And I'm like, well, is there anything I can do? You know, I'm like, I got a lot of you know, 
So I'm trying to get ultrasound technicians to do little short-term mission trips out there to go um, to do these ultrasounds in Israel. But so we see here that, that David says, I'm going to give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You can, that I is each one of us. That Gunner is fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of you here. He says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Before he was born, before he breathed his first breath, every single day has been ordained. That our, our, our birth and our death day is in the Lord's hand. When we look at First Thessalonians 4.17, it starts talking about the dead in Christ, that, they, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, it literally is like by Jesus, that when we die, it's because he takes us. That we, you could be in a plane crash at thirty, like your plane could explode in thirty at thirty thousand feet, and if God wants you alive, He'll preserve you. There's the, there's that story of the pregnant girl who was pregnant, didn't realize it. She was parachuting. Her parachute was it was partially open, but she shouldn't have lived. She survived, and her baby survived. Like that just doesn't coincidentally happen. Like, doctors say, we don't have the technology to, to do this. It's a miracle. And I love it when doctors are dumbfounded and they say, it has to be God. There's no other way to explain it. And this is also the sanctity of human life doesn't include just those in the womb. And I think in future years, there's going to have to be a bigger fight at the end of life to protect those who are dying. They say, well, let's just put them down like, a, like an animal because they're costing us too much money. No, 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 no. That's life. And we need to protect it because God created life. And every day is ordained by Him. And verse 17 and 18, this, these are the verses that we should memorize, that we should meditate upon. David looks at all of what he's written up to this point, And he says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. I wish every little girl at two years old had to memorize this. That every father would invest, every son would know this. That this is how we would see ourselves. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Like even if you're a few pounds overweight, even if you're balding, even if you have no college degree, even if you failed at everything by human standards. How precious are your thoughts to me. I've circled that and put Gunner. Insert your name there. How precious are God's thoughts towards you? How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Like this, I have no idea. I can hardly guess how many pieces of like M and M's are in the jar when you have to like guess for winning. Like how many pieces of sand are around the earth and under the sea? Is a gazillion infinity plus infinity? Like there, I mean, there's an end. There, there is a ton. And he says, if I should count them, they would outnumber that. God's thoughts towards you. We cannot count 
how the sum of all God's thoughts towards us. When we live our lives, we need to see ourselves as created in the image of God, that He loves us. He's, he's not just this God that's separate from us. He's actively involved in our life. We're told to, to pray to Him, to seek Him, that as we go through life, day-to-day decisions, that we would be communicating with God through prayer. And I'd also say that on this, like not only just for us, but for others. Like we need to value life. There are, I hate to break it to all you guys, but each one of you is terribly quirky. We all are quirky. You all are a little bit weird. We all are. And we as humans, often as brothers and sisters, we look at others and we have our own insecurity because we're listening to what the world says about us. And so to make us feel better, we start attacking others. And that's not what God wants. The person next to you, around you, the person that is most irritated in your life, God's formed them, created them in His image. And we're to love them as such. And we're to treat others as we want to be treated. I believe that's what Jesus said when, he, when the Pharisees came to him and said, what's the whole law? Like if you could summarize the law, what is the whole, at that time, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, what is, if you could summarize in one sentence, he says, to love God with all your heart and to love others like you want to be loved. And ultimately he says, as I have loved you, sacrificially. And so David understands this. And I think that in verses 19 through 22, it's kind of, these are kind of difficult. It's like, how does this fit in this whole thing? This sheds light into David's situation. And I think that this last little section here is he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. What did David do with King Saul in the cave? His men said, Go kill him. This is the opportunity. That he comes to relieve himself from the, the cave that we're sleeping in? David said, I'm not going to touch him. He's God's. He took a little piece of his cloth to show him that, hey, listen, I could have, I could have killed you, but I didn't because you're God's anointed. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. So David's on the run there saying, Oh, we're doing this on God's behalf. And David is upset. Like This is like holy, righteous anger. He says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. David's kind of letting all hang out before God. I mean, why try to hide it? He's already said that he knows every thought before he says it. So he's like... These guys are trying to kill me. I'm, I really don't like them. They don't like you. And I want to hate them as you hate them. But then at the end, and this is the place we all need to end up, is he ends up surrendered before God. And he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see 
If there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. So we hear in this last phrase, we see that he's surrendering his heart, his thoughts, and asking God to lead him. Kind of all that he just said, that he realized that his circumstances are not out of God's grasp. He is, he's on the run, yet he knows God's God's bigger than his problem. He knows he's got some anger. And so he says, God, search my heart. Convict me if I'm wrong. Convict me. Lead me in a different direction. I'm here. I'm yours. And all of us, that's where we need to end up. To know that God loves us. And just to kind of recap here, as we conclude, when we look at the omniscience of God, that God is all-knowing, In verse 6, David responds, and I think this is the key for us. Knowing that God knows everything about us, David responds, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. To know that God's thoughts towards us, that He knows everything, is a wonderful thing. Because God is God. He's not some false idol that we've created that is not bigger than our own thoughts. That God far exceeds our ability to comprehend. Because we're the created and He's the creator. And then looking at His his omnipresence, that God is everywhere. David realizes that even on the run as these guys are trying to kill him, He says in verse 10, Even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. You know, this week when I had a near miss, I mean, I I definitely hit the car, but, you know, it was enough to wear insurance and nothing had to get involved. I say, thank you, Lord, for being there. But I also need to learn how to, that's my response. And if I get a flat tire, if I get stranded, or when the bad stuff happens, then I think we sang today, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and He takes away. When the darkness closes in, blessed be the name of the Lord. That we realize that He is bigger than any problem. And often our problems is that we have a loving God who cares for us and is putting these into our lives that we would become more like Him ultimately. And then finally, when we look at the omnipotence of God, that He's all-powerful, that He can speak things into existence, that He can speak us into existence. He says, How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. I'd encourage us to try to memorize this this week. That we could meditate upon this, chew on this. We're told in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is in heaven making accusations day and night against us. That Satan is there saying, Gunner, you preached a horrible message. Your heart wasn't right this week. Gunner, you should have done this. Gunner, you should have done that. And I think we feel these accusations and then we get discouraged and depressed. But we're told in 1 John 2, 1 that we have an advocate. That's an attorney. That Jesus is standing there saying, if you've trusted in Christ, I've paid for that. I've paid for that. I've paid for that. They're my child. They're, my blood is upon them. He's righteous. My righteousness has been imputed to Gunner, to you. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And Father, we do praise you, Lord. Father, we, um, we come before you and we, uh, Lord, we confess that we easily um, buy into the lies of Satan to this world. Lord, that ultimately tell us that we're meaningless that life has no value, 
that in order for us to be worth anything, Lord, we have to achieve um, financial success, good looks, um, education, that we would have power and influence over others. Lord, but we know that this is not true. Lord, ultimately, our worth comes from you, that you created us. Lord, you formed us. Lord, that you've imparted your image to us. And Lord, we pray that as discouragement comes, as depression sets in, as we fall prey to these accusations of the evil one, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to cling to this truth, Lord, that your thoughts towards us, Lord, are beyond our ability to take in. Lord, we praise you that you have good thoughts for us, Lord, that you that you're with us, that you're actively engaged in our life, Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, uh, to surrender our lives to you, Lord, that we, as David said, Lord, that we would um, ask you to search our heart, to search our thoughts, Lord, that we would allow you to lead us as we live our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Amen.